Good morning, church. It's a blessing to be here today. Can you guys hear me? We sound good. We said it depends on what you say, right? Whether it sounds good or not. We do join uh, in a blessing with this family. It's a great way to uh, start my time together this morning. I have to ask, so I was in an airport last night, which I spent a lot of my time, me and Lisa these days, but... Uh, and I was so proud whenever I, Tommy mentioned in communion this morning about our military. And uh, I was so proud that uh, when I was watching the first of the LSU Army game, uh, one is when the, they showed the field, the end zones were in camouflage, which was a, a tip of the cap to our military instead of what they normally are. And then when the Army team ran into the field, the, the, all the fans in Tiger Stadium gave them a standing ovation. Normally, if it's Ole Miss or Alabama, we boo, right? But because they were military, we cheered. And I thought, man, I was so proud because uh, the folks at LSU got it right last night. And today, where are you at? David, you back there? Would you and your family stand up just a minute? David just retired from the military, and he's passing through, he and his family today. I'd love to honor them today. 22 years. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. He, uh, he surprised his family with a trip to West Monroe, Louisiana. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody surprising their family with a trip to West Monroe? But we are grateful. Thank you for your service, brother, and, and your family. Uh, we know it takes a team effort. Just to give you an update on the blind, um, as of this weekend, uh, number one, we were only guaranteed one week on theaters uh, through the Fathom event way. It was only on a third of the theaters that all the other movies were on. Uh, but as of this past weekend, it is the highest grossing Fathom event ever. We passed the Chosen this weekend. So praise God for that. Uh, thank you, Mom and Dad. Uh, for being willing to tell your story, uh, it's having a huge impact across the country. And so uh, we are very blessed uh, that the story of Jesus lives on. And I have to say, I think I've seen it four times now, and I cry more every time. I thought it was, was it the notebook? I mean, I, I'm supposed to cry less uh, after watching it, but something new touches me every time. And I have to tell you this, and maybe I've told you before, that now the things that seem to touch me the most watching the film is you, is the church, is is Bill Smith, is all those people that mentored me and Carl Allison. So when I so when I see those scenes, those are the ones that touch me the most. So thank you, WFR, because you've been there with us from the beginning. Uh, Sullivan Stokes, where are you? Are you in here? Oh, okay, there she is. Come on up. Sullivan's got quite the line of accomplishments. She's 13 years old. She's in the seventh grade at OCS. Says here that she's on the Junior Eagle line. Which I had to ask because I didn't know that was dancing. I, I asked offensive or defensive, so I'm sorry for that. But um, also, she plays basketball. She's a Stokes, of course she does, and she is singing this coming weekend in New Orleans for All State Choir. What about that? How about that list, right? So you sing and you dance and you play basketball. That's three more talents than I have. So thank you, Sullivan.
Romans 3, 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Thank you, Sullivan. How about a round for her? Another talent. She reads the Bible very well. Um, so we're in Luke chapter 11, verse uh, 37 is where we're going to be through 1212 today. And I am super uh, excited about this text. It's a, it's another teaching situation for Jesus that begins at a dinner party in the house of a Pharisee. And it's really the story is told in four acts. And so that's the way, of course, that I'm going to share with you today. And it starts out with what I call the outside washers. That's act one. So let's read and see what Luke says about this situation. When Jesus had finished speaking, and that was the prior text. Dave talked about it last week, early in chapter 11. The prior speech was about good and evil. It was about light. It was about dark. It was about all the most important things. And so he just finished this great speech. A Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So this is another Pharisee dinner. I have to say, if I were Jesus' uh, travel uh, itinerary, itinerary guy, I might start canceling the Pharisees' dinners because they're not going very well, right? Especially for the Pharisee, every time we get into another one of these situations. He went in, he reclined at the table, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not wash his hands before the meal. He was surprised. Now, the Bible doesn't say, did he say something about being surprised? Did he do a Mr. Spock eyebrow raise about being surprised? Was it some sort of facial expression? But somehow he was surprised, and people knew this. The Lord said to him, as he was surprised, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Now, how did you like that response to your surprise that Jesus didn't wash his hands? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Don't you just love it that Jesus takes the most subtle, uh, the most snide insults, that come his way and he turns them into a Trump rally, right? I mean, immediately it just becomes, let me tell you about where you are and what you're doing. I love it because he cuts straight to the heart. And look, if you don't, you don't need to just make a snarky face about around Jesus. You can just think it and he's going to deal with what you're thinking about. These outside washers is, is what I call them. They were me first people. And that's unfortunate. They only tended to look at the world through themselves and no one else. The washing of the hands, this ceremonial cleansing, it wasn't, it wasn't required by law. It had nothing to do with hygiene. You know the real reason why the Pharisees had the ceremonial washing before a meal? Because the priest did it. And they didn't want to look less pious than the priest. That's what the whole thing was about. And you, th- you say, well, wait a minute, Al, surely they're not, they're not that full of themselves, are they? 
Well, first of all, don't call me Shirley, but yes, that's exactly what they are. They're that full of themselves. They're so worried about how they're going to look in someone else's eyes that then they would be surprised that Jesus didn't wash his hands. But they weren't always this way. The whole Pharisee sect started back in the Babylonian captivity days. They looked at the heroes of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they saw how they pulled away from culture. And that's where the Pharisee sect started. They didn't want to bow their knee to culture. And that's a very admirable thing. It is to this very day. The problem is what started out as a good thing wound up being the slippery slope building. The what about isms, the building the fence around the law to make sure that no one accidentally broke it. The building of traditional walls that they would not hold themselves, but that they would hold other people to. One of the best examples of that is the 40 minus one. You know what 40 minus one is, what that equals? It's not a trick question. You can just tell me what's 40 minus one. Thank you, two people. 39 is 40 minus one. Now, the law says there could be 40 stripes, but no more. And so the Pharisees came along and they said, well, you know what? We don't want somebody to accidentally give more than 40. So we're going to say 40 minus one just to make sure. That's where it came from. The Apostle Paul talks about it. He received that five different times. But, you know, I was thinking about that. If you were worried about giving somebody one too many, just let the guy who's getting the beating count. I can promise you he's not going to miss one, right? (laughs) Forty minus one. But there were many, many more. Jesus cuts through their hypocrisy by calling out their inward intent. And therein lies the problem. They didn't love. They only Love themselves. And the idea that somehow you could come in and ceremonially cleanse the outside of who you were when inside you were terrible is a farce. And that's why Jesus called it out. By the way, still going on today. People say, well, I'm a member at so-and-so, so-and-so, or I gave this much, that much. And inside they may be rotten to the core, but they try to ceremonially be clean. I can't help but think about Pontius Pilate when I read this text. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't even a Jew. But somehow he thought when he had the king of the Jews, an innocent man who he knew was innocent, that he could somehow wash his hands in a basin of water and say, I am cleansed from any responsibility in this moment. This is on you. What a pompous hypocrite. You had the chance to do the right thing and you didn't do it. You're just as guilty as the rest. That's what happens. These men had no empathy. When they saw a person who was destitute, who was up against it, who maybe had some malady or illness, they had no empathy. Not for one second did they say, you know, if I were in his shoes, I might know. Never crossed their mind. They had no sympathy. They didn't look at that situation and say, man, what a terrible circumstance. What a terrible plight for this person. I I feel sorry for their situation. No. You know what they thought? Only apathy. 
We know this, of course, from Luke 18, which we'll get to later, verse 11 and 12. When that Pharisee looks at that person who was in a difficult situation, you know what he thinks? Thank you, God, that I'm not that sad sack. That's the way they thought. Can you imagine living life that way? That that's how you viewed those who were less fortunate than you were? And yet that was the mindset. No wonder Jesus took an eyebrow raise and turned it into a rebuke. But he's just getting warmed up, and so am I. Verse 42, second act, we got the woes. Now, we talked about the woes before, but if you wonder what the woe is, the woe is coming destruction. All through the Old Testament, every time you see one of the prophets say, woe to you, that means get ready. If we were to put that in a modern vernacular, it would be woe to Hamas, right? Because it's building against them even more. It's a coming destruction. Here's what he said. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Can you imagine these guys are sitting there and they're trying to figure out their tenth? And I mean, we don't want to give one more leaf than we have to. And they're cutting them up and they're measuring and they're taking all this time to make sure they get it exactly right. Because it's not about that we're afraid we'd be short. We just don't want to give too much. The whole time, he says, you have no love in your heart. And you don't care about the justice of people less than you think you are. Woe to you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues. And respectful greetings in the marketplace. Make sure and get my name right on the card. It's Dr. Pharisee. Got to get it right, right? You love that. Got to have that front seat. Got to be sitting at that head table. You love it. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. I love that text. Because in that text, you see what happens whenever people lose their way. You see people that love in spite of themselves. What a tragedy for everything that we see in the woes. Man, I don't want to be these guys, do you? I don't want to miss my way. Now, it's interesting because... Right after this, we get back to the text, and we see that the woes, now these there's a certain group of people there, and they're looking and they're saying, well, wait a minute, what about us? One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Now, that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. He is just rebuking this group of people, and now you turn around and say, but you know, I mean, we you're getting on us too. It would be like when I used to get disciplined by Dad if I was a kid. He was giving me a whipping, and Jay stepped up and said, now wait a minute, Dad, this isn't right. I've been doing everything Al's been doing, and you're whipping him. Would he do that? No. 
somebody else started getting a whipping, you just looked down and whistled, right? <laughs> you didn't want to make eye contact. The last thing you wanted to do is for dad to say, well, step on over here, son, and let you get, let's get you some of this, right? That's exactly what they invited. Can you imagine? So, Jesus says, well, you experts in the law, since you brought this up, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Oh, they love to pile on the law. Pile it on thick. And make it where people couldn't carry the burden. Who would want to do that? You know, we already know about the law from what Sullivan read to us that it can't save us anyway. Why would we want to add more to it than God even intended? Because we don't care about people and about their burden. These experts in the law. Verse 47. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets. And it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. That's a lot. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, which was killed, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. You say, well, man, that sounds harsh. Yeah, but just imagine what's going on. We've got a group of people here who are saying, let's build an altar. Let's honor the grave of Elijah. But then when John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah, they say, this guy needs to be killed. And their silence, whenever Herod had him killed, was deafening. They want to honor Abraham and Moses. But then when Jesus comes, the son of God, everything that faith was pointing towards, they say, kill him, crucify him. And they framed him for murder. They framed him for everything. They framed him for blasphemy. That's the kind of people we're talking about. They want to honor the minor prophets. Oh, let's build a tomb for these guys. And yet, whenever the apostles then began to share the good news, Stephen and James and all the others, what did they do? They picked up stones and they killed them. That was the reason their destruction was imminent. They were hypocrites. You know what the difference is between a hypocrite and a sinner? Only one is willing to admit who they really are. You don't want to be the hypocrite. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, but you have hindered those who are entering. And maybe that was their greatest sin of all. Blocking the way for people to find Jesus. That's never where you want to be. You don't want to be that guy. 
or that gal. Experts in the law. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an expert in the law. I don't want to be an expert in tradition. I don't want to be an expert in building fences around slippery slopes. I don't want to be that. I want to be an expert in faith. I want to be an expert in empathy and putting myself in the shoes of other people, even those who hurt me, even those who don't understand. I want to be an expert in sympathy. Lisa and I were in an event in Champaign, Illinois on Friday night. And I knew because we're in a blue state because, you know, we parachute in behind enemy lines to bring southern love to the blue states. We love it. And as we're in this setting, I told Lisa on the way there, I said, you know, we're in Champaign, Illinois. We're in a blue state. This is a pretty deep blue place we're going to. We may see some protesters tonight. We got there. We didn't see anybody. I said, oh, praise God. And we're walking over to speak because they had such a large crowd for this pro-life event. They had to put a group in another room, which praise God for that. As we're walking over with the director of the center that we're here to raise money for, I look outside and there they are. About 20 college students, matching shirts, signs, exercising their First Amendment rights as Americans to protest, in their case, for abortion. And so as we're walking by and they're outside and they're looking around and they're holding their signs, this director said, y'all go ahead and go over and speak to this crowd. I'm going to step outside for just a minute. Well, that got my attention. So we went in, we spoke, and when I came back out, the lady who was standing there said, I just love our director. She walked out there. She welcomed those protesters. She said, I'm so glad you're here exercising your political rights. If you ever have any need for our services at our center, here's where we're located, and we love you. And she came back in. And five, about ten minutes later, when we walked back by, guess what? They were gone. And I said, that looked like Jesus. She was unashamed, but she did it in love. You know why? Because those college kids out there, they don't know what they're talking about, but they will one day. And when you open a door for them, you're giving them an opportunity for them to know the truth. I hope she touched one of them. That's what I want to be an expert in that. I want to be an expert in forgiveness I want to be an expert in leaving sinful behavior behind. I want to be an expert in grace, mercy, love. I want to be an expert in showing Jesus to other people through the gospel. That's where we want to be an expert. Paul would put it this way in Philippians chapter 3. I want to be an expert, he says. It doesn't say that, but that's what he means. He says, I want to know Christ. And to gain him and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but that comes from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's not about me and my ability. Paul said, I don't want to be that. And look, Paul was a Pharisee. He understood exactly what this was all about. And it all changed for him on that road to Damascus. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection 
of the dead. That's what you want to be an expert in, not law. So once these outside washers were warned with their woes, Act 3, they became the waylayers. You ever been waylaid? I've been waylaid several times. Waylaid, but you say, what does that mean? Now it means ambush, set up, sidetracked, manipulated, led astray. I've been all those things. One time Lisa and I were doing a book tour for our first book. And we got an opportunity to go on the Huffington Post and do an interview with them. Now they're a left wing group. And, and I guarantee you, there's nobody like us that been on there in a while. And so the publicist was like, do y'all want to do it? And I'm like, yes. Lisa's like, no. Are you insane? And I said, babe, it's, it's an opportunity to speak to a group we couldn't speak to any other way. And I was kind of ready to mix it up, I'll admit it. But she was like, oh, I'm not sure. So we get on there. The woman's super nice. You know, we're talking about stuff. She's from Georgia. She just had a baby. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And boy, as soon as the lights, camera, action rolled. She turned into MSNBC in about two seconds. We got waylaid. She talked and she asked questions and she probed and Lisa got to talking and finally Lisa said something and she, cause she was talking about making the right choices and she said, so it sounds like to me then you're pro-choice and Lisa said, well yes, of course I'm pro-choice. And it was like, then I looked up, I was like, oh no, she got her. And sure enough, the next day, Duck Dynasty daughter-in-law parts from family ways by being pro-choice. Of course, it was a waylay. She was saying, everybody has a choice. I just want you to make the right choice, which, of course, she was right. But that's not what the girl was looking for. She was looking for clickbait, right? A few headlines. doesn't matter what the article says. All you got to do is see the headline. In our world today, then it's truth. Then it gets repeated and picked up for other people to tell that truth. Well, that's what these guys did. After he lit them up with the woes, here's what they said. Jesus goes outside. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely. So it's no more snarky grins. It's on now. And to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Thank you, Huffington Post. You're alive and well in the first century. Waylayers trying to eventually kill him, which they did, but not really because he gave himself. But that's what they thought. We expect that from the world. What we don't expect it from is spiritual leadership. And that's what these guys supposedly were. Be very wary of people that get too far away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and begin to put things on you because they say, you know what, we've been thinking about it. It's a slippery slope, so we need to we need to give you some guardrails about where you need to go. Or begin to explore the deeper truths of life. No, the gospel's enough for me. If I'm an expert in that, I can make it. I can impact people. Do I want to grow spiritually and have more knowledge? Sure, it's great. It helps me in my conversations. But I never get too far away from what Jesus did for me because that's what saves people, not how much I know and how smart I am. You see, I might get to thinking after a while that, you know what, I'm a pretty big deal because of what I know. 
Watch out, you hypocrite. Woe to you when you begin to think it's you. Don't be a legalist and don't be a waylayer of truth. Dangerous. Let me give you the last act because this is for us in Luke chapter 12. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so Jesus is gaining some traction in spite of these waylayers and outside washers, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. So this is for us, a direct message saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. See this insidious nature. You think, why would people want to be legalists? Because it's human nature. It's like an HOA. Trust me, I, I, I live with that down in Alabama. Seinfeld was right. People love to live their whole lives under someone else's thumb, retire, get on an HOA board, and then try to tell you how to live your life. They love it. I am now HOA free. Praise the Lord. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. So you think somehow you can contain this, hide this? Are you kidding me? You know how I know it will never happen because the evil one wants to embarrass you at the worst possible time. So when you make a deal with him to live for him, he is going to expose you and it's going to come to light. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. Hypocrisy always finds its way to light. It's just the nature of sin. So you got a choice. There's two results. You can have what you saw in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. You can have shame and suffering and exile. Once the truth comes out and you've been canceled and you've been excommunicated and you say, well, I'm just going to live my the rest of my life as a bitter person because my hypocrisy has been revealed. Or you can do like King David did in Psalm 51. You can surrender and receive salvation. And say, surely I've been a sinner since birth because I've been so bad and I violated my relationship with my creator. That's your response. Which way will you go? He goes on to say in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do no more. That's what happened to him. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. He understands. He made you. He loves you. you say, yeah, but I, God, I just don't, I feel so bad about going against your way. He understands. That's why he sent Jesus. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. And I would say you could put that, write that somewhere. You are worth more. Draw a line and you can fill in that blank anything you want to. Because to God, you are worth more. He didn't send himself to die for people that weren't worth it. It should make us the most empathetic, sympathetic people on the planet. His second warning was, don't fear the Lord of the temporary. 
Fear the Lord of eternity. John would put it this way in Second John 2. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that doesn't come from the Father, it comes from the world. Everything you see is temporary. These fads that come along that people get into, these sinful situations, it's going to come and it's going to go and then there's going to be something else. That's worldly. Don't fear that. Verse 17, the world its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's why we focus not on the seen, but the unseen. Second Corinthians 4, right? Hebrews 12, we focus on Jesus because of who he is in our life. He closes it with this. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. So it matters who you stand up for in this life for the next. Everyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Boy, that's a statement that's given people fits for years. But when you think about it in the context of what we're talking about, it's really pretty simple, right? He looks around, he says, I get it. I came from Nazareth. You're looking at me, a carpenter's son. You're thinking, how can he be the son of God? I'm willing to understand that you're having a difficult time thinking I am who I am. But you can't deny who I am because of the Holy Spirit. When that spirit descended on him like a dove and that voice said, this is my son, this is a man you have to listen to going forward. He is the son of man, but he's also the son of God. Amen. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This same Holy Spirit, and this is why you can't speak against him, is the same one who will live in you, who will motivate you, who will indwell you, who will guide your conscience, who will bear your fruit, and will animate your dead body when you come out of the ground. We never want to speak against him. And he is the Spirit of Christ, who is the Word the everlasting to everlasting, the creator, the sustainer, the son of God who would come to save us from our sins. And Jesus said, when you see me, you see the father, Yahweh, the creator, the almighty, the I am. You see, God is one. And yet there are three to show us who they are. Never disown Jesus before men and angels. Never deny the Holy Spirit who indwells you and animates you. Never doubt your defense. If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. You are worth more than, and you fill in the blank. The great Max Licato, 30 years ago, 1993, I was so surprised it had been that long ago. He said this. I wish I had said it. It's so good. He said, legalism is the search for innocence, not forgiveness. It's a systematic process of defending self, explaining self, exalting self, and justifying self. He's so right. The obsession with legalism, why are we so obsessed with it? 
because it's self, not God. Legalism has no pity on people. Legalism makes my opinion your burden. It makes my opinion your boundary. And it makes my opinion your obligation. Jim McGuigan said it best. It's a killer. And he's right. And all these years later, it's still there. And the reason why is because the evil one hadn't left us. It's a way to take people who in their hearts love the Lord, but then lose their way because they begin to see themselves better than they actually are. And then they affect other people. And when it happens in your leadership, it can destroy you and destroy your witness. McGuigan's right. It's a killer. All the years I've been here, I've only seen one person respond for the sin of legalism. But it has such a profound impact on me, I will never forget it. And the reason why I think it doesn't happen more often, because I know there's some of us that struggle with this, is because it's so hard to say, I'm a legalist. I remember one brother, he came right over there and said, that's what I am, and I need to repent. But I guarantee you, if you're struggling with that, there's no better place to admit it than the presence of God and his people who love him. Just say, I'm done with that. I don't want to focus on me anymore. Now, there's one we can understand a little bit better, putting me first. How's that working for you? I can promise you most of your struggles are because of selfishness, self-righteousness, selfishness and simple behavior. Whatever it is, me first will never work. That's why Jesus came here to die for you. You can never be good enough and you can never lord it over other people for them to be good enough. You don't have the authority and you don't have the power. But Jesus does. And so if you've never surrendered your life to him, man, today is the day to do that. You may not be a legalist. You may just not understood what it's all about. Maybe someone has kept you and blocked you from finding the pathway, just like those experts in the law did. But now you see it clearly because you see who Jesus is. You understand the Holy Spirit has to live in you for you to be raised from the dead. If you come to that awareness Today's the day to begin a new life. One without worry over failing and breaking a law. Because we're sinners, all of us. I'm not a hypocrite because I'm willing to admit I'm a sinner. Who's been saved by the grace of God. If you want that peace, if you need that peace, or any other need, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing.